afternoon, everyone. It's Mobile Meltzer here on Office Hours, and I'm so excited. We only got one mic today, but I like Mike, Mike Diamond. I know he's pushing the dose of positivity because it has such a great forward written for it, but I think the book's even better than the forward. Uh, but more importantly, don't forget about the mind fuel because the, the diamond mind fuel, I'm addicted to this stuff, and I can't tell you how many companies might hit me up with these kind of things for clarity, balance, and focus. Uh, you know I've been using it for years, but I because we don't put it up here, I forgot about it until I ran right. out, and then I'm like leaving for like Scotland. I was like, yeah, I'm a crackhead. Uh, <laughs> by the way, um, speaking of crackheads, our next guest, no, I'm just kidding. Who's <laughs> the old days? That's me. <laughs> Not him. I know. Mike, no, you'll, you'll like this. Uh, Alex Lou's here. But Alex, he's the managing partner and chairman of Kearney. But you'll like this this morning. I, I'm leaving on this 15-day speaking tour. And I'm like, Mike, I don't have my minefield. Did you ship it out? He's like, oh, sorry. You know, my dealer had a, a supply chain issue. And I'm like, whoa, is, which mic am I talking to? That is true. I was screaming at him for a week, right, because I was away trying to yell off Alex. And I'm yelling at this guy, like, this guy needs these tubs. He's like, yeah, I sent them. And I'm like, you can't have, because the guy can't be bugging me like this. And he's like an ex-drug user. He's probably thinking, is this guy back on drugs? <laughs> like, exactly. what's going That's on? what my wife was thinking when I was like so desperate to get it. She's like, what, 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 what are you waiting for? I'm like, my powder. I need my powder. She's like, oh, no, not again. Not again. Get him out of here. Oh, All right. Trash. Take it out of context. It could be a whole bit different thing. Uh, but Alex, oh, uh, not only is he the partner and chairman at Kearney, but he has... Uh, uh, the lined podcast with you and I, uh, we're going to have to continue to do context, uh, content with Alex because he's the host of joy at work. And I'm going to start there, you know, to enjoy your work, Alex, don't you think you have to look at, uh, work in a different way? Meaning you can't even use the word work because there's no way to enjoy something that's that difficult. How do you reframe or rephrase the term work in order to help facilitate people to enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think it's a false choice. I mean, my premise is pretty simple that why would you settle for anything less than joy in everything you do? Uh, you've talked about loving what you do, doing what you love. That certainly applies to work. So there's certainly a human case for finding joy, even though 90% of the people want it, they don't get it. Like more than half of them don't. The research says that. There's probably a business case for it as well. Obviously, we've gone through a period of great trauma over the last few years. But even when I um, mentioned this notion, I wrote an HBR article, which the title was Making Joy a Priority at Work. And the HBR people said, well, that's kind of counterintuitive, right? How do you associate the two? And, and, you know, some research, but also the point is that, you know, it's a human thing. You want harmony, you want role clarity, you want acknowledgement, you want purpose, you want to belong, you want to be seen, you want to be inspired. And so there's obviously a business case for that. Obviously, companies want to keep people, certainly in this crazy world. And for individual leaders like us on the call here and those listening, you want to be able to sort of be a role model for the culture that you want to have. It should be intentional joy. The culture should be intentional and it should be aspirational. So I see a, fall, a false conflict between the notions of joy and work and separating, you know, working from home or living at work. If you love what you do, it shouldn't be work. Yeah, when you said that, someone got upset with me the other day. I, I deal with addiction and, and like a lot of fentanyl overdoses. 
but I'm like an upbeat guy. And if someone's in a, making a disempowering choice, I don't go down to their level and, and get sunken. I'm like, well, what are we gonna do? We're gonna make a choice here. So how do you, when you talk about trauma, cause that's all I deal with. People that take the, the traumatic past into the moment and they can't move forward. So when you're dealing with people in that workplace, do you have methods? Cause you're like Dave and I, we try to lift people. How do you get people unstuck to stay in the moment and say, look, I know that's happened. I'm not saying it's easy to move on, but you have to be present to move on. Yeah, I mean, I think two things, uh, Mike. One, one is you got, you got to meet people where they are, right? There's no one average. And and I think people need to, to not feel a victim. There, there certainly there's been mental trauma, all types of hidden disabilities, hidden diversity, which most of which is invisible anyway. You don't know what's going on. So we need to treat people with respect and create a culture of belonging. Um, you, know, you know, the second piece is to not, not, not be a victim, right? And sort of create a culture where everyone does have what we call ABCs, not the DEI, but ABCs, allyship, belonging, which leads to culture. So if you have yeah. values-led leadership, that leads to behaviors, which lead to habits, which lead to culture. And I think people that at various levels of, like you said, trauma is a strong word, but different levels of disengagement, boredom, panic, fear, overwork, they need to find a way out. Um, the, the other piece I would no notice is in our research is that you've got to move the middle of the organization. The power of the company is not at the top, who might say and make all these commitments about doing the great culture and making these ESG commitments. And it's not the youngest people that may join a company and they, they want to fix the problems that the generations ahead created. It's the people in the middle that are yeah. overworked, overstressed, too much matrices, too much meetings, too much Zoom, too much pressure to solve the problems that have been created. And, and so much easier just to say, this is, this is too hard. I've got my own problems. Why should I be fixing the problems of the world? So mapping individual purpose and where they are and belonging with the institutional purpose, why this company exists why this podcast exists is kind of the, you know, the cross connection there to, to meet everyone, every stakeholder, however aggrieved they are, I think, Mike. Okay. Mike and Alex, I think it's really interesting uh, because you have a new book, Joy Works, which seems not to be counterintuitive to me in the context of joy working, uh, but utilizing joy to empower the teams in a new era of work. And I'm going to pick two topics uh, that you address in the book uh, that create this new era, which makes it more uh, difficult to enjoy. I do want to add one little quote from Bob Parsons, founder of GoDaddy that I love, uh, that you can reuse, Alex, as well. You know the old saying, uh, the, if we love what we do, we never work a day in our lives. Uh, and Bob Parsons started at the Super Bowl when I was talking to him with that exact phrase. And he's in his 70s, so I thought he was going to give me that same traditional, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And he rocked my world with this quote. And it, I think it encompasses a lot of your book. If you love what you do, it will tell you all its secrets. Um, and I find that your book, Joy Works, uh, actually encompasses a lot of the secrets uh, of loving what you do activity you get paid for, activity you don't get paid for. But two of the topics that have created a lot of interference is one, remote working, and two, is technology. Uh, and both uh, have created the situation of separateness, 
of disassociation, lack of engagement. Um, how do you address those topics in, in your new book? Because I think they're critical uh, to the productivity, accessibility, and gratitude of our workforce. Yeah, I mean, first, joy is not a location. So we'll come to that in a second, but here's the cover of the book, right? Which you mentioned, I, thank you for mentioning it. But I mean, the theme is, you know, you have to inspire individuals and you empower teams. We're always, you can't get away from being in a team concept. And whether you're working from home, you can be connected technologically, mentally, purpose-wise, et cetera. And even when you're in the office, you may be disconnected. And there's so many, I mean, the research shows there's so many disconnected people bouncing into each other. I've got to go into the office. So I think there's a way of marrying the technology, which should assist humanity. And there's a lot of topics now about AI replacing humanity. I, you know, I, I think we need to use the tools and we've learned to be able to have transactional efficiency by technology but it's not human, it's hierarchical. Only one person gets to speak at a time on a call even like this. So apprenticeship, learning, curiosity, finding new things about your colleagues, how to solve this problem with a whiteboard. You can't do that remotely. Now, people also want flexibility. They also wanna be inspired. They have other things in their minds as we talked about Mike, right? They're things that they have to manage. They have elderly people at home, they have kids, they have dual, dual career issues. So. I think there's a better way of marrying the two. I think it's a hybrid world. Hybrid by itself doesn't mean anything. It just means you got to find the right mix for the right uh, employees and stakeholders and workers. Um, I found a, a profession, which I've been in for 35 years consulting, which is very much every day is different. Every team, every project, every location. And so that to me is like my purpose. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it, it's a sense that every day is new and you have to take pride in what you do. It's not just love, it's pride in the craft of being an author, a coach and in consulting, which I'm in, you know, basically it's, I'm a coach, I'm helping teams and clients reach their, and sometimes communities and countries reach their full potential. So I, I think if you have a sense of your purpose and why you're at the company, and you use the tools in front of you, I think you can re remove some of the alienation about I'm being tethered to this computer. I mean, certainly during the remote work period, we all had our traumas and, and ways of, of dealing with it. I mean, I just had to structure time and draw my own boundaries. I'm gonna bike and hike. I'm not gonna go to the coffee machine. I'm gonna decaffeinate. You know, you gotta like choose things that make your life and your boundaries more manageable too. And I, technology, I think can unleash boundaries as opposed to draw them too much also, put you onto a hierarchical. Uh, sort of format. Important. Do you think a, a lot of people like they're stuck in this paradigm of like, oh, it was better before? And instead of saying, like you said, because it's ever changing, you've always got to be gathering information. You've always got to be a student of life. You've always got to be self-educating, and that way you 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 stay unstuck because you realize it's ever changing. You don't know what's going to happen next. You know what I mean? Do you think that's a big problem a lot of people have? Yeah, I think there's a there's two there's a twin edge point to that. I think Mike also because you know I, I remember the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yeah, yeah. I mean I got I mean I got headaches watching that, <laughs> but it really captures it really captures to me what's going on in the world. I mean there's geopolitical, micro inflation, recession, supply chains, political this debt crisis that war, and I think um, how do you tune that out but also be tuned in. Right, you know, there's a research about kids being four hours a day on social media, and all that does is create body dysmorphism, anxiety, suicidal tendencies. So there's a flip side to being totally switched into something and totally addicted, if you will, to a, um, you know, a passion. You know, I want to learn, 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 and then at the expense of every other human interaction that's important to you. 
So I, I think I think you're exactly right, though. We've got to write the, create worlds where people can self-define their boundaries, learn, be curious, and not judgmental, as as uh, Ted Lasso says. Right? Um, you know, great wisdom there, and also be always be willing, being a constant student. Right? You know, you have to learn and then adapt and you know, be reflective. And I think. To me, the leadership model of the future as well, the CEOs, and this was learned and honed during the COVID era, was not the command and control. We know it all. We've got these plans. We're going to roll it out. We're going to spend money this way. We're going to invest that way. We're going to globalize that way. But it's actually saying, I actually have no idea what we're doing. I'm going to tell you what I don't know and how I think about it. I'm not going to tell you what to think about it, You know, whether it's the racial justice stuff, whether it's the war here, whether it's whatever. And I think that there's a there's been a blurring of the role of leaders, which have had to also set the tone for what you learn and what you actually can insist on. Not, not a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think to, you know, looking at intent versus outcomes, you know, there's this huge gap and necessity to attach emotions to an outcome, regardless of the intent. Um, and because we're facilitating an acceleration of data or information, uh, four hours a day in our young people, et cetera, that this gap becomes, you know, very controlling in our lives that we feel out of control and separate from and inferior or superior uh, that creates the anxiety and the need, uh, which I think puts Mike Diamond in a bigger place in a better position. So many people need Mike because then they hold on to pain management in the wrong way uh, instead of giving and receiving and inspiring and empowering. Uh, they get the easy dose instead of the difficult dose. Uh, but uh, Alex, man, the world needs more of you. I love uh, how well-rounded and uh, what you allude to. And the book is spectacular, by the way. Uh, it's everywhere. You can get it. Uh, go and follow uh, Alex Liu as well. Um, Joy at Work is uh, the podcast. I'm trying to see where the website is. I think it's Kearney.com, but is there one for the book? Uh, not for the book. You can get it at, again, Carney.com, Joy at Work. There's a book there. Just even get the podcast on, you know, wherever you get podcasts. So um, yeah, thank you for, highly, for the push. Yeah, I know. Highly recommend it. Hold it up one more time because we're actually at the airports, at the gates, and people buy books when they're sitting there. And uh, I always say, hey, most people don't have the advantage we have that you can see us. They may not even be listening. There may be captions, but now they at least see that book and hopefully we'll go buy it and change uh, their activity they get paid for by learning all the secrets and never working a day in your life. That's what Alex Liu can do for you. Thank you for joining us. We got other shows, my friend. I look forward to having you on those. Thank you so much for having me. Good to see you, Mike. Yeah. Bye. Thank you, Alex. Amazing. Mobile Meltzer making it happen with the double D and Diamond and David. And we got uh, <laughs> the Diamond Mind. What What is the actual name? Mind Focus and you know I'm coming out with a pill, right? With mushrooms, not not psychedelic mushrooms. I'm not using just, it then. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, I'll make a special formula just to microdose for you. But Thank I'm serious you. because it's easier to travel. Like if you have two pills and the oh, same trust thing, me. you could throw the pills in the bag, take two pills and instead of mixing it up. So it's I know. And, if it's, and I, like sometimes I'll put it in a little container or a baggie if I got like a two-day trip because I, I don't yeah, want to take the whole cool. canister. And if that shit spills... <laughs> nightmare happening uh it, it's crazy especially if you're like but, this <laughs> like, what are you doing I, I honestly gotta tell you though like it is such an amazing product i haven't really thought about it since i've been doing it for so long and using it every day uh but 
you know, holy the moly. It just puts your, it's just such a perfect mindset. Uh, and it's completely natural and healthy, right? Yeah, 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 100% natural. That's why I wanted to add in the, the mushrooms and that because like mud water and all the, and I do the natural mushrooms anyway for your gut health. Yeah. And all these other things like the lion's mane and the other nootropics with the, uh, what the caffeine and the turmeric and that, it just then it gives you all those organic, like that organic boost that you just fired all day. It, it's, a, it's good as it is, but I wanted to like, it's time to up yeah. the dose. <laughs> uh, keep me keep me on your mailing list. Uh, that's all. Oh I no, have. I that's why I'm going to give you. Point. I, I sent. And then I yelled at the guy today. It was so funny. And I'm never like, dude, you got to be kidding me. I swear they should have gone out two weeks ago because I swear they went out. I'm like, don't lie to me. All of them were backed up. Yeah. And you got eight, eighteen tubs coming. Oh, eighteen geez. subs. Oh, yeah, I'm not good. sharing. I'm not sharing them, so I'm keeping them. So <laughs> that's fine. It'll last me till I get my pills. Uh, all right. Is anybody here? Is someone here? Look, let me see. I'm looking at my notes. Dan. Oh, it's Dan. Oh, yes, Dan the man. Yeah. All right. I want to disconnect myself. Oh, there he is. Awesome. You know what? When I'm, you know, Mobile Meltzer has a difficult time seeing this, the green room. So I, I got to lean on my friend, Michael Diamond. But uh, Dan Bradar is here. He's CEO of Ideal Power Inc. What a great compliment he is to Alex, idealpower.com. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, Working in a space I know very well uh, with the automakers of the world, and uh, you have an incredible partnership with the biggest and the best. Um, so I want to start with you've been in this energy space a long time, and mm -hmm. a lot of people probably don't realize that automobiles uh, are going to play even a more important real uh, role in energy than the fossil fuel days that I was born into. Um, so I want to give a little bit of perspective since you're an expert in the space. Uh, when we're talking about ideal power, can you give people some perspective on how important cars or automobiles are to energy for our future? Sure. I, you think about it now. I mean, the majority of the oil and gas that gets used, uh, you know, in, in this country and many places around the world is used in the transportation sector. And the sector is going through a fundamental change that we're all gonna live through here, which is the transition away from fossil fuel-based transportation system to one that's really driven by batteries. It would be a pretty significant change in terms of the vehicles themselves, the kind of issues they present, uh, the impact that they have on the environment. So I think we're, we're really in an exciting time where we're literally seeing a global change in transportation that we're all, we're all gonna live through. What time period are you talking, Dan? Because I know a lot of people get stuck in one parent. Like, I'm never going to do that. What what time period are you talking about? It's going to take quite a while. I mean, I would say you're 10 to 15 years getting through that transition because people aren't going to abandon their combustion vehicles. The existing automakers are going to have to work through how do they support all the cars they've sold over the last you know, 10, 20 years from parts and service while they move to the uh, the electric vehicles and the infrastructure has to get get built out our current infrastructure really isn't ready to support switching over completely to electric vehicles and it takes time to build out the charging stations that make the utility system more robust to handle all that demand uh, so it'll be a gradual process and then the big thing i think for the consumer is you're going to have to see the cost come down and the range of the vehicles improve because those are the two biggest challenges that prevent people from buying electric vehicles today and one of the other components is you know as an entrepreneur investor consultant myself is the storage component um, yeah. and you know 
working with a company like Cooler, for example, that have to use uh, energy in this way to get us to Mars and race Indy 500 cars or whatever else we can do and keeping it cool. Um, but I see storage as a really interesting play, uh, not only because solar becomes a really big source of energy, mm -hmm. uh, which is the clean energy, uh, wind as well. But when we have the modularization of storage and then the retrofitting of fossil fuel vehicles, and as you look in, I look at about a 20 year period, yep. you know, it's really fascinating when we do get the range and power in a battery, if it continues to grow exponentially compared to when this all started with the, the first electric vehicle, you know, it, the whole world changes in a way that we can't even imagine. How important is storage of energy in this future of ideal power? It, it is critical. It is really at the crux of all of this because energy storage has always solved a lot of problems. You think about, you know, uh, most people didn't realize when Hurricane Sandy came along, for example, in the Northeast, when the utility grid went out, your solar on your house wasn't good for anything. Well, if you had storage, you could separate from the grid and continue to take care of your house. You know, if you have electric vehicles, as our infrastructure improves, you might be charging your vehicle at night and when it's sitting in the parking lot at, at where you work or if you're working from home, you're exporting that power at the time when the grid needs it. So it really is key to a change in how we're going to use energy and use it a lot more efficiency in the long run. Because right now you think about, for example, your car, it sits idle 95, 98% of the time. Well, it's an asset that you can actually get real value out of if you had the ability to actually charge it when rates are low and then sell the energy from your batteries when the rates are high. Brilliant. Incredible. In time-wise, you reckon the next 40 years, it's just electric cars? I, I think it will. Um, you know, the, the key is going to be the cost to continue to come down. I think we're going to see some new chemistries come to market that won't all be the existing lithium-based uh, batteries that we're seeing today. There's some pretty interesting things in the works, but developing new batteries takes a long time for sure. Um, there may be some sectors where the unique attributes of combustion engines remain, uh, but I think certainly for the average person, um, for your personal vehicle, it's certainly going to go that way. And a lot of short haul trucking is going to go that way as well. And one of the other things impacting the auto industry, specifically when it comes to power and storage, uh, is companies like Zinger, uh, CZIG. And, uh, you know, I was blessed to get a tour of the world's first uh, AI virtual 4D printed cell, yeah. uh, which you know, I have to say, I, I see very few things in my life that exceed my imagination, but I think it's exceeded Hollywood's imagination when I saw what a 3D or 4D printer or whatever it is to print a car, a high-end luxury vehicle that can beat time trials by, you know, six seconds, not 0.6 seconds. My whole world was shattered. Um, but does this type of printing impact as well power? Because you're talking about exact designs, flexibility of testing and differentiators that can expedite the fuel part in printing as well. Uh, how do you see that type of technology impacting power? It, it's going to play a pretty big role because part of what those technologies bring is the ability to make things more cheaply, 
the ability to use other materials and form them into the shapes that you want uh, to go to higher strength, lighter weight composites, which affect the range of vehicles and so forth. So we've got a lot of really new, intriguing technologies that are all going to converge on the energy and transportation sector, where you think about what uh, what the world's going to look like 20 years from now. It's going to be very different than the environment that we grew up in, in terms of our electricity, where we get it from, and, and our, our cars, and how they interact with that system. I mean, it's really positive, but sorry, go ahead. No, I like it's so fascinating. I not to interrupt you because I don't want to cut you off, but I was just thinking, um, in Transformer, kind of looking at it, that your vehicle, because it does sit still in, in power, it's not just selling it back to the grid, it's like you can have component cars where. You know, you have an e-bike connected to it uh, to then transcend that, or you have a stove or a tea, like all these different units that you just have these fuel cells that are, you know, powering different components to allow you to be, you know, more mobile, but also even at home, just to take a cell out and plug it into some component, uh, you know, a, a, a weeder or a lawnmower uh, that we're still take all these other extensions of power that's probably the best way i could describe it uh but go ahead mike no no i was just gonna say it's exciting the way you said that because it's true it's like all those things that the ripple effect of making that one good choice and just staying consistent and, and changing the paradigm of what dan's doing is so exciting because it really is good for the environment and it changes so many things and get, getting out of this blocked mindset it's just such a positive thing well, and it really just drives a much more energy efficient use uh, for everything we do every day to the point where you're not only getting more energy efficiency, but you think about electric vehicles that are out there today. I mean, most people, when they get in one the first time, what really hits them is the acceleration in an electric vehicle is amazing. So all of a sudden, you're not just seeing something that is innovative. You're not seeing something that is a different way of doing something, something but it's bringing performance enhancements that you can't get except at the very highest levels in the traditional vehicles that are out there. So I think um, I think there's a lot of benefits that people are going to see that are going to come. And I think as, as costs come down, I think you're going to see pretty broad embracement. And companies like ours that are working in things that affect uh, how energy is used, because uh, our focus is really semiconductors that allow you to do, use energy more efficiently, uh, are going to play a big role in that. So there's a lot of innovation coming in the semiconductor space, in the battery space, in the vehicle space that are all coming together. And what impact does it have on the Middle East? Are they taking the billions of dollars that they're making now and investing it to lead the way into this type of technology? Or are they going to fight it and slow us down and make it more expensive uh, to get this type of technology? Yeah, it depends where you look. I mean, it's, uh, Saudi Arabia in particular is trying to do a lot of investment for next generation because they know at some point that the ability to live off of the oil production uh, and sustain their economy is going to be a challenge. And in their case, you know, their own use of fossil fuels has been growing steadily. Uh, so, you know, they need to think about to, to the point where they no longer have a sufficient amount to export. Where does their you know their economy get its revenue from? So they're starting to invest in it, but you know it's it's tough when you have to go through a fundamental transition on what your economy is based on. Uh, it doesn't happen quickly or or easily. So I, I suspect there's a lot of painful moments coming as the Middle East tries to sort through this transition and have economy that can survive on other things other than oil and gas. I'm selling my penthouse in Dubai, Mike. How about you? 
I don't have a penthouse in Dubai, so <laughs> neither, neither do I. If I got friends that have them, I got Belford and Quick and uh, Marshall. I got three guys that have penthouses. I'll, I'll tell them to sell uh, wow. before I, before I lose my usage rights. Uh, but anyway, uh, what I mean honestly, I get so excited. Uh, and I talk about you utilizing technology as a servant and we can never let the energy be our master either, whether fossil fuel or fuel cells, uh, rechargeable batteries, solar batteries, whatever it may be. And I really want people uh, to reach out and learn more um, about this because uh, if you're not preparing for this, uh, you're not preparing for the future. And Brad Bernard is an expert at this. Go to idealpower.com great information, uh, familiarize yourself. There may be some options, opportunities, such as a favor uh, as you apply what you learn to your own industry or your personal life. And that's why we wanted to have Brad on to share, you know, an inspiration for us all to co-create and imagine a better future uh, for all of us and appreciate you. We'll have you back on, keep us up to date. I'm not going to sleep tonight because my imagination is twirling. I love this stuff so much. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, David. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. Bye. It's amazing. It's so cool. Hey, Mike, imagine someday you might even be able to do your uh, LinkedIn show in a car with a, a phone that's running off a battery. It'd be really super cool. Uh, <laughs> Seriously. Do a live show. Do a live show in a car. Uh, we could do that someday, I swear, in color, in full color. It'd be amazing. Uh, technology is wild. Anyway, uh, uh, or Luca, do we do we have another guest today, or or do we have takeaways coming up? Uh, one, two, three. Yes, and we do. Um, he will be here shortly. I love okay. Luca. Thank you She's so at much. The airport. <laughs> she, is, she was at my office at SoFi. Uh, Luca, please don't call me Shorty. It's offensive. So I. She didn't say Shorty, <laughs> did she? No, no. She just said it'll be here oh. shortly. Oh, <laughs> don't call me Shorty. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I was like, Dan, how long has she worked with you for? <laughs> She's calling you Shorty. I was like, wow. That's right. She's Shorty's like, in the house. It's your birthday. That's legendary. That's, I was like, what? <laughs> hey, Shorty. It's your birthday. Hey, sure. uh, all there right. You there he is. All right. Mike, right on time. You fit in here because he's a double M. That's right. Mike Mullen right. is here. Founder, CEO of Branch Metrics uh, in my gate guy probably needs something. Hold, go ahead, Mike. F finish up my intro. I got to get through my gate. Hold on. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Well, what happened? <laughs> Mike Diamond. Are you right? Oh, it's like, well, he's, he's got to get through his gate. Okay, Mike. So you're the CEO, COO of Brand Metrics. So let's just jump in. What is Brand Metrics for the people listening? And like, I know you studied mechanical engineering, correct? Is that what yeah, you first started? Yeah. And then how did you make that tr transition so to what you're doing now? So the former COO and founder of Branch Metrics, which is a it's a mobile linking and measurement uh, technology. So we power the majority of mobile apps out there and make sure that they work kind of smoothly and that the brands can measure where their users are coming from. Um, and worked on that for the last nine years. Took it through 100 million ARR annual recurring revenue, and recently ventured out and started a new business, which is called Athena which is more in the B2B communication space. Okay. Could you go back for a second? You said that you powered, what did you say? Cause I want people powered to mobile that. apps. So like stream. Uh, no, 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 but, but powered, powered most of them. Most of the mobile apps you say, correct? Yep. 
Yeah, that's pretty impressive. You just kind of threw that out there, like, oh, we powered most of the mobile apps. You know, that's massive. That's a yeah, lot. No, of, yeah, it's huge. It's it, so we touch uh, last last measure um, last year was the last time we measured it. Uh, Three billion devices on a monthly basis. We power about seventy percent of like the top two hundred apps. So big companies that you know, Spotify, Adobe, Uber, etc. Uh, and we're just some, we're the linking and measurement technology behind those apps. So you as an end user don't know that you're using branch, but uh, we're just making sure that the apps work better for you, smoother, et cetera. That's amazing. And Dave, go. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, and so when we talk about uh, the metrics involved, uh, obviously there's a lot of, uh, monetary gain by understanding certain measurements. What are some of the key measurements uh, that you're utilizing today that have the most value? Yeah, so I would say there's there's two different, when it comes to mobile at least, there's two different uh, measurement pieces. There's the initial attribution of where the user came from. And then there's what, what I will call down funnel measurement. And that's kind of after somebody has downloaded an app, what do they do later? Uh, a lot of the money is tied up in, well, it's split between them, but there's a lot of opportunity in attribution, which is I get a new install. If I am Uber or Spotify and somebody downloads my app for the first time, I want to know where that user came from. Or generally, did they come from an advertisement from Google or Facebook? Or did they come from a share link? Or did they come from my website? And so we will attribute at a, in a kind of an anonymous way where users at an aggregate are coming from so that brands like Spotify can then better understand and better focus their marketing efforts on the right channels. And then kind of the other metrics are kind of down funnel. So somebody downloads an app, what do you care about? You care about, does that user make it through the onboarding funnel? Do they sign up? Do they buy something? Do they convert? Are they retained? So do they come back a second time, a third time? Do they drop off after a day, after a week, after a month, after a year? Uh, and then how are their conversion down funnel in terms of like the end activity that you want, right? Sometimes it's played a game. Sometimes it's purchased something. Sometimes it's complete sign up. Whatever that action is that you want them to ultimately do in that, in that session, we can help you measure that so you can see what that funnel looks like for your users. I mean, it's really mind-blowing. Was this something that you expected to go into straight after you start, went out of college and that? I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing. No. Uh, so I straight out of undergrad, I was a mechanical engineer, worked as an engineer yeah. for five years, uh, moved to Silicon Valley in 2012 with the, with the dream of starting a software business, uh, started a couple of things. We never would have come up with the idea for Branch had we not struggled ourselves for a year trying to solve what we ended up building for Branch. And so the story is that we we got together as a founding group, started working on one project, which eventually led to us working on a mobile app. It was a photo sharing mobile app in 2013. We worked on that for a year. But the challenges were that as a new small business, it was hard to grow and to get customers and to monetize them very well. And in 2013, a lot of the challenges with the mobile ecosystem, it was still relatively nascent. And so, you know, I've been around three, four years, but a lot of these challenges hadn't been solved. And one day after a year of working on this and trying to solve these problems and build and grow our app, we kind of stepped back and we looked at it and said, 
we think that there's an opportunity here to solve these bigger problems, which every app is facing around measuring their users, oh. increasing conversion, improving the user experience inside of apps, and just making it more seamless for the end user. Because if you make the end user journey really smooth, like Amazon does when you go purchase something, that increases conversion because you don't run into a, a buggy or a challenging or a high friction flow. And so we thought maybe that's the opportunity. After a year of trying to build an app and grow it ourselves, we realized that the challenges that we were facing weren't unique to us. And we decided that, that was, that's what we were going to try to solve instead. And we decided to give ourselves a little bit of time, six months, to try to see if, that would, if there was interest in the market. And it turned out that there was. So that idea doesn't just come from, from nothing, right? It comes, I, I'm a big, big fan of telling founders or aspiring entrepreneurs just get started doing something because you might stumble upon another idea that you weren't planning on working on. That might actually be the bigger opportunity. Dave, can I ask one question? Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. What was, what, cause this is, this is such an important thing that, that most entrepreneurs fail at. You know, so you go into that and you realize there's a pivot, but what's the time period that you had to then get messy and struggle and go through the hard, which most people don't want to as entrepreneurs to then see a little light at the end of the tunnel to to get through it what because people don't get the time period they just think oh that's the next opportunity i'll just give in someone else will do it and they go well i could have done it so yeah. sorry dave it's just such a great like no, that's a good question you know, yeah so what was the time period well first first and foremost branch was my seventh company so if you count the prior <laughs> six ones like it depends on whether you define them as companies or projects. no it's awesome people need to hear this they right. think it's just like i want to be dave melson tomorrow and they think that i'm looking at the the history of what it takes to get to this point is so great. So it goes yeah. seven. <laughs> exactly. So it was seven. my seventh company across basically six years. And so, uh, but if you only look at what's been successful, it looks like my first company because you don't necessarily see the other. <laughs> so that was definitely a big part. And then with specifically the mobile app, which eventually led to branch, we, we worked on that and suffered through it for a solid year. And it was really like six, the first six months were building and then launching and then trying to grow. But then the next six months were the most painful six months because things just aren't working and you're bashing your head against the wall trying to figure out what is it that like we need to do to grow this app. And you just keep going and you keep going. And so there's this, there's this weird dichotomy, I think, in startups and entrepreneurship where you have the, you have to be both patient and resilient, but also be willing to pivot and see opportunity. And so like Sometimes you just need to keep going forever and just be so resilient that you're just going to keep going and make something work. But at the same time, spot the opportunities when they're there. Because had we not stepped back one day and said, hang on, let's pause and reflect on maybe whether there's something, some bigger opportunity here. And we just kept going. We could have kept working on that app for four years, but we had to kind of work on it long enough to understand the pain point, but still be able to step back and say, maybe there's a pivot we can make here that'll actually add different value that might be a bigger opportunity. And so that dichotomy is really, it's challenging and there's no right answer. It's just hard as an entrepreneur. It's quite... Yeah, the same dichotomy or irony exists from using an app that's powered by you to screw up my show because it's so powerful and mobile that I'm like in three different areas and still can carry on a conversation in color, by the way, Mike. Okay. Uh, this is incredible. <laughs> Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, you are moving quickly. So I know you briefly mentioned what you're doing today. So I wanted to finish up with, you know, as a serial entrepreneur, as someone who's an innovator and an entrepreneur, uh, 
that obviously has an open mind, open heart, and open hands, willing to be what I call you're truly a ferocious Buddha. Uh, you're someone who is ferocious today, but uh, definitely Buddhist in uh, the outcomes and where you're going, which I really love. A typical Michael Singer uh, surrender experiment uh, in in life. Uh, but uh, what are you doing today, and where do you see that? Uh, transitioning uh, in the next 12 months since you probably are the fastest transitioning entrepreneur I've ever met. So every 12 months, it's like a a bigger and better thing. (laughs) Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. But so uh, one comment is um, one comment on that is one of my favorite sayings is I have micro urgency and macro patience. And it's one of the principles that I try to live by because I'm, I'm ferocious on the day to day and hour to hour minute to minute, just running as fast as possible. But if you can couple that with a macro patience and a really long view, that just compounds over time. And so I'm extremely, extremely patient when I take the higher level view. And But on the daily basis, I'm running, running as fast as I possibly can. And that combination is really powerful. Yeah. So what am I working on now? So the new company is called Athena. Uh, it came out of some of the struggles that we had supporting our B2B customers at branch where we serviced a lot of them on messaging platforms like Slack and Teams. And we uncovered that while the world shifts to more messaging platforms, SMS, WhatsApp, WeChat, Slack, Teams, Discord, it's creating an opportunity because it's creating a lot of challenges for companies that are supporting their customers on these platforms. And so uh, we struggled with it. I started to build some things that to try to help solve it and then ended up working on it and supporting a couple guys that left branch to work on it. And I ended up partnering up with them a little bit later. Didn't take a break, really. Uh, Just kind of went from one thing to the other. Uh, But I think it's a huge opportunity. As for where we're going, Athena, all in on Athena, full time on it. And uh, just trying to grow it as quickly as possible. We just uh, took on some seed funding, so venture capital backing. uh, And so it'll enable us to run even faster and really try to build what's next. So um, yeah, that's what's up. Now, I think the AI revolution is going to be really interesting to see over the next few years. But we'll see where that goes. Oh, absolutely. Mike, any last thoughts before we let the other Mike go? No, just, just, I'm just so glad you said that for anyone listening, that seven companies and then you, you're always growing and learning and people need to hear that. It's, it's it, like that, what you just said was brilliant. Micro urgency, macro, what was the last thing? Macro Patient. what? Patient. Patient. That's yeah. such a great line that people need to understand. Be urgent, but also be patient. I love it. Yep. Yeah, I, I also, I love it, Mike, um, because I thought my mom had a difficult time telling people what I do. Uh, I can't imagine what your mom says. I don't think she tries. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's another computer as well, so we're not going to go into that. Uh, <laughs> Mike knows my issues with being rejected, rejected so many times by Stanford. But uh, Mike, thanks for joining us. Uh, where, where can everybody reach out to you? So you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I post, try to post some of my learnings and lessons there. That's usually the best place where you can follow me and try to pick up some of the, learn from some of my screw ups and failures along the way. So good. Uh, well, welcome, Brilliant. welcome to the team dummy tax because that's what this is, show is all about. So mm-hmm. we pay the dummy tax for everybody here at Office Hours. Thanks for joining me, Mike. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Mike. Okay. Awesome. What a great interview. That really great so guest. Awesome. I know yeah. all of them. I love how we can dig with them and they, they're not defensive. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like there's nothing better. Like, and like we, like we dig with each other 
it's like it like, lets the person struggling. That's why I tell people even it's just, it's and, and this is what people don't understand. It's, and it's my takeaway is very simple: learn to tune in, but also learn to tune out. Oh. You know what I mean? That balance. Because it's like if I listen to your story as an addict, I send people your stuff all the time, and they're addicts. And just because your story of resilience and losing a hundred million dollars, an addict goes, "Oh." I thought this guy had it all figured out. And if you're not talking addiction in that sense, but it allows them to grow. And that's what people don't understand. You tune into things and then you step back and you go, okay, now turn out. Now, what do I need to take? And, and what he said and what we talk about is those, those important things that people think they've got it all solved. We don't, we solve it every day. We're going in and then pulling out and going in and pulling out and then trying to incubate on it. So, you know, it's like tune in and tune out, learn to turn in and turn out. It's just, it's so important. Yeah, the pulling in and pulling out, I thought that was going to stop me from having kids, but I got four. Uh, but more importantly, um, <laughs> I do you love that. Uh, the takeaway, the takeaway uh, is really interesting because uh, the macro, uh, right? Micro, the macro, the, the macro, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah the, because the, the, it is, Resilience and patience is the greatest yeah. conflict. But but I do, I wanted to ask you one question, Mike, in the takeaway. Um, have you read uh, Power of Now with Eckhart Tolle? I love it. Love it. Yeah, because like I've never heard someone talk about uh, addiction uh, in that way and how everyone, uh, what addiction really means and how everyone has addiction. And yeah. that, you know, it wasn't just, alcohol, drugs, gambling, it's, you know, people, love, all, all these things of how human nature works and addiction works. And I could imagine you not understanding all that, but it was my first reminder because I hadn't read it in so long. And through the new lens in my life, I'm picking up with a higher awareness, all of these great and valuable lessons. And uh, I do know that nobody has it figured out that uh, judgment is just an opinion uh, that is based off of ignorance and doubt. And I want to reiterate that with everyone, because if you're feeling judged, this is not the place to be. We, Mike and I, uh, that's what I love when you talked about, you know, we dig each other and have fun, but there's no judgment that we just know that all of our opinions, you and I both, we don't know what we don't know, but they're definitely based off of an opinion of ignorance and doubt. And we love each other for it. Yeah, but you know the best thing, and there's a book that a lot of people get offended with by Gabor Mate, and it's called The Realm of the Hungry Ghost. And he is a CD buying addiction. And some people, I'm cocaine and alcohol, right? But it's the same thing, as like I said, the empowering dose or disempowering. What am I codependent on? What I'm trying to avoid, right? But when I, like, if I have a conversation with you and you have a conversation with me, the key ingredient that makes us such good friends is we try to empower people with our knowledge. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? And that's, that's all it is. You try to lift me and I try to lift you. And you could say to me as a joke about an addiction, that's why people are sensitive. We're all sensitive in different areas. I don't take it personal. Someone else could say, what? I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. He's, we're joking and he's trying to empower me. Look at the core of someone. Your intention is to empower people. That's why we get along. That's why we have 300 episodes or something. And that's yeah, why 500, I send people 500, 500, but I send people to you and then they get these great nuggets from you where someone else may send them an AA speaker. No, no, no. Listen to this guy. And because they hear what you struggled and suffered, and it's not just cocaine. It's life. 
yeah, and they're like, like, wow, man, that guy lost a hundred million dollars. I'm like, yeah, see? I'm like, wow, I didn't think of it like that. So yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Life and life circumstances. And that's what your book's about, really. Uh, the dose yeah. of positivity. And positivity doesn't necessarily mean that we live our lives with cheerleaders all around us. Uh, it's more the idiots like you, me, and Mike, and the other idiots that came on the show today. I won't uh, hurt their feelings any more than my own. Uh, but that, I, I'll do the show anywhere. I feel, I feel like Dr. Seuss, green, green eggs and ham. We had the green eggs and ham edition of Office Hours in a plane, on the street, on the stairs, in my closet. We will do it anyway. Sam, I am Mike diamond i love dose of positivity check him out mind fuel is my favorite as well i got 18 tubs coming <laughs> you are Not you do it's like it's, i got so angry i'm like and the best thing is coming from we both came from abuse you'll love this before we get off i started yelling at the guy and my dad my son goes dad that's that's too loud i'm like no. this kid Seriously, he checked me for yelling because I don't yell at him. I was like, he really checked me for yelling at someone. Nice. Like, are you serious? That was good. So I love you, mate. Everybody's doing their best, learning lessons, having fun. If you want to do your best, learn lessons, and have fun, join Mike Diamond wherever he's at. He's an incredible follow, incredible book, incredible products. My best buddy himself. I'll see you soon, brother. Take care. Bye, mate. Have a best day. <laughs> you too. Take care. All right, everyone. That's it. Office Hours, the mobile edition. Ending up as green eggs and ham, here I am in my closet trying to share all the wisdom, knowledge, mistakes, setbacks, failures, successes, historical moments, defining moments, whatever you want to do. But most importantly, as it says over there, be kind. Be more interested than interesting. Be kind to your future self. And uh, we got training tomorrow, Friday training on Thursday. So join me. If you need to know where I'm going to be, I got meetups all over the world in the next 45 days. I got VIP dinners. Uh, my book is still free. Email me. I'll sign it, send it to you, pay for shipping in the book. David at dmelter.com. We'll see you soon. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. See you later.